And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at Stan the Fan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And a very pleasant good morning to each and every one of you in our uh, listening or viewing audience. Uh, you can listen to the bat around at uh, simply going to pressboxonline.com slash radio. Or it uh, gets a slightly bit more complicated. Right, Brittany? Only a slight bit more complicated. Just a little bit, but yeah. you can figure it out. Yeah, you go to uh, facebook.com slash pressboxsports. And that way you can find us. Uh, on the internet and watch the proceedings as if that's a, a very exciting thing to do. Yeah, I mean, we all know I look better on camera than you do, so. That's, uh, you know, remember I am your boss. <laughs> remember I am your boss. Anyway, we got a busy, busy show today, and I'm confused as to why. There, let's see if this comes up now. I'm on Pressbox Sports. And I'm trying to share. There we go. There we go. There's Brittany and Stan. Like. I'm told to like that and to share it. All right. Now I'm sharing it with my public. Um, Very busy show today. A lot to talk about, including a huge Hall of Fame class uh, that's going in this year, including folks like Vladimir Guerrero, uh, Jim Tomei, and I can't even think. Trevor Huffman is going in, uh, as well as some really well-deserving veterans. And I hope I'm not leaving anybody out, but the big two to me are both Detroit Tigers. A great right-handed pitcher, Jack Morris, who did pitch for Minnesota for a while and Toronto for a while. Great big game pitcher. Um, and I, I get the, the reasons it took Jack Morris a little bit well, more than a little bit. He had to be voted in by the Veterans Committee. Um, Jack Morris, though, when I think of big game pitchers in the 80s into the 90s, uh, he's got to be at the top of the list. Uh, won a couple World Series um, that I recall, one with the Detroit Tigers and at least one with the Minnesota Twins. Um, I, I, you know, Jack Morris. He, he misses on one box for me. The earned run average and home runs allowed were at times enormous, uh, but, but that is far outweighed by the impact he had on the game and the teams with which he pitched. So Jack Morris, a certain Hall of Famer for me, uh, might not have been a first ballot guy, but would not have not made it on the vote by the Baseball Writers Association. Then Alan Trammell. It gets a little bit more complicated with Trammell, um, but but I got to put the whole package together of Alan Trammell and say that he is deserving of a Hall of Fame berth. The sad part is that his uh, Keystone combination partner, Lou Whitaker, is not going in with him. Uh, Those are two guys that, if you look at Scope and Machado over the last three or four years, 
these guys did it for about 14 or 15 years together. And uh, to me, Lou Whitaker is the equal of Alan Trammell. Uh, probably not quite as great defensively as Trammell, but he was really solid as a second baseman, and he hit with a lot of pop. Uh, we can go over some of those numbers uh, as the day goes on. But that's quite a... Uh, an initial class, and I'll get to uh, whether or not I'm missing anybody because I was rushing around like a chicken without my head cut on, uh, without a chicken without my head attached, not cut on. Uh, our guest today, in about seven, eight minutes, we're going to be joined by my friend Steve Garland, the owner of Big Bats Cafe, just uh, laying at home now with a knee replacement. We'll find out how he's doing and whether he can give us the um, Ocean City Traffic Report, okay, on the Bay Bridge. Mel Antonin, um, writer for MassinSports.com, will join us at 1025. At 1050, we'll have on uh, David Wildman, who covers baseball for Loop Sports, not to be confused with Loop League, one of our sponsors, but LoopSports.com, uh, a website that is dedicated to Chicago sports. We'll talk with David Wildman about uh, the Cubs and the White Sox and how vastly different their seasons are and uh, see if there's any real hope for the um, for the uh, Chicago White Sox and their rebuild. Uh, at 11.20, we're going to be joined by Adrian Burgos from LaVitaBaseball.com. He's going to be on to talk about the uh, incredible career of Vladimir Guerrero and how the Latin community uh, is uh, handling uh, his being uh, voted into the Baseball Hall of Fame. To me, I, I won't call it a disgrace. Uh, he gets in on his second try, but to me, he was a first ballot Hall of Famer of, of the highest order. Uh, Bill Latson will join us from MLB.com in the last 20 minutes or so of the show. So we've got a jam-packed show for you today. Um, Orioles are two down and uh, probably two more to go in their trades, but there has been some interesting conjecture, including a report uh, by Ken Rosenthal last night of theathletic.com. Uh, Ken wrote that um, as of, uh, and this might have been not, he might not have written it on The Athletic. He may have just tweeted it out. I'm not really sure. I know I read it on MLBTradeRumors.com last night at about 1130 uh, that the Orioles and Milwaukee Brewers are apparently, or at least the, the rumor was, they were in serious discussions uh, about a package for Jonathan Scope and Kevin Gaussman. Uh And that will really um, define the Orioles' rebuild if they were to trade those two guys in one foul swoop like that. I will let you know that after that first report on MLB MLBTradeRumors.com, let me find that real quick and give you the time parameters, um, of the serious negotiations tweet by Ken Rosenthal, and it was after a couple other moves, and we'll talk about those as well. There's a whole bevy of moves in Major League Baseball, and I'm spinning down here to get to, uh, it was right after the uh, Royals announced that um, Whit Merrifield is not going to be traded. Um, this first appeared at 634 in the evening last night, the Brewers and Orioles are engaged 
in serious discussions, and that's in quotation marks, engaged to the end of discussions, per Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic via Twitter, though the precise focus of the chatter remains unclear, he does suggest that sides could be negotiating over second bagger, Jonathan Scope, and or starter, Kevin Gausman. Um, and uh, I will tell you, that was at 634. I got on my, I had dinner last night, 7 o'clock, a family dinner, and really wasn't paying that close attention to the Orioles uh, or these trade discussions or rumors of. Got home about 9.30, quarter to 10, watched the remainder of the game, and then did my um, uh, after bird watching last night, at which time uh, folks that come on to after bird watching were texting me and IMing me that about these rumors. But I will tell you that after that, at 11.35 last night, the Brewers acquired uh, Mike Moustakis, uh, who will most likely play third base for the Milwaukee Brewers with Travis Shaw moving over to second base. I wonder if that trade, perhaps of, um, of Jonathan Scope and Gosman, I wonder whether that possibly included the return of Travis Shaw to the Baltimore Orioles to be the Orioles' third baseman moving forward, as well as some young players. Uh, but uh, so far, we've not heard any more uh, seriousness about that. Um, we can look at MassInSports.com, and let's see if they even they even registered it last night. Uh, headline story is Brock wondering if he's next to be traded. Uh, no, there's nothing. There's nothing about that that trade that I see on the Orioles Masson website. So, I'm going to guess that that was some talk. I don't know how serious they were entertaining these negotiations, but um, again, reports surfaced uh, early yesterday evening on Friday evening that the Orioles and the the Orioles and the Brewers were in serious negotiations. Uh, over Scope and Gosman. Do we have a report? We've got Steve? All right. Joining us right now is uh, one of my uh, very fine sponsors and somebody I can honestly say over the last five or six years has also become a good friend. Uh, he owns one of the great sports bars, and it's Ken Island's, really, their, their main sports bar, and it is Big Bats Cafe. His name is Steve Garland. Steve, first of all, most importantly, I know I talked to you the other day. You had that one knee replacement. How are you coming along with that? Well, right now I'm uh, walking around the downstairs just trying to stay uh, busy and keeping myself moving, but it's a slow process, but it's going well. All right. Is uh, Now I'm assuming, uh, knowing what I know about knee replacements, that you had a great deal of pain and discomfort with that. Is the Is that type of pain... Does that magically go away, or you can't tell because the other kind of pain is so strong? I don't know. <laughs> I, I really don't know. I just know that uh, it was done a little bit over a week ago, and I think I'm doing better today than I, when I came home. So we're All going right. in the right direction. All right. Well, we're now. Now you. I know you got a great staff over there at Big Bats, so you're not working at all for three or four weeks, correct? Well, hopefully it's not four weeks. I hope I make it back a little quicker than that. But yes, I'm. Uh, I got some great personnel at the restaurant that have the same uh, 
thoughts that I do, how things should be done, and things are going well. All right. No point in my renewing the advertising package with them, right? They're not easier than you? (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding, Steve Garland. So, Steve, are you able, I know at the times I normally call you once a month during the uh, summer season, you're able to just look out your window and tell me how the Bay Bridge uh, traffic is going. Uh, Are you able to... uh, fulfill your duties today and tell us how the Bay Bridge traffic is? Well, I could tell you that the skies are blue and the water is kind of bluish green in the Bay. And I'm just saying that from past memory. <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, I think, uh, things, I haven't heard anything unusual. So I think things are going normal, but you know, we're getting closer to that peak vacation time, which is around now to the middle of August. So you're going to expect some traffic around that bridge during the weekends, and that's for sure. All right. Well, we, we hope they get a great uh, great August. We know that uh, the weather hasn't been great all summer. It's been kind of a weird summer where we went, f- you know, it seemed like spring never really sprung, and we had a lot of rain in April and May, and then June was okay, uh, and then July started to get hot, but now July is just about in our memory banks. So we've got yeah, like one more month to go. I know it's hard to believe how quick it goes, but it does go fast. And, uh, that's one thing you can count on. <laughs> well, it's th- going to go quick. Yep. The summers go quick. And just like that, the baseball seasons go quick. It is hard to believe as, as miserable as the 2018 season has been for Oriole fans, it's really kind of weird to all of a sudden just zing and you're under 60 games in the next couple of days. The Orioles will have less than 60 games to play. Yeah, I know. It's, well, one thing, uh, the only thing I could say for me is with this knee surgery, I have seen plenty of MLB network and baseball on TV because I still can't get enough of watching it. All right. I feel the same way about it. You know that we're lifers. Tell me a little bit of your, your perception of the first two trades uh, of Machado and Britain. We knew they were coming. Doesn't take away the sting necessarily. Does it? No, it doesn't. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm not always been in the same camp with a lot of people on Machado. I thought uh, Machado was never going to be a, lifetime Oriole, so yeah. uh, I was in the in the uh, dugout for him being let go a little bit sooner because I just never thought he wanted to stay here. Right. And uh but that's that's here or there. So uh I think we did as good as we could for our trades. I think we have uh some nice pieces in our minor league system. You never know what they're gonna turn into, but you gotta have those pieces they even have a chance to have somebody come up. So uh Zach Britton it's He's he's true blue too. I kind of hurts a little bit more seeing him go. And uh, he really so. he really held out in his comments. You know, he he sort of it really implied he he hopes it's not the end of his Baltimore career. Not necessarily implying that he'd be back with us next year, but uh, he made it sound like he would like nothing more than to come back here and finish finish what he yeah. started in three, four years down the road or yeah, something I, like that. I saw that interview and it looked very sincere. And, uh, I think, you know, he talked about his whole life, how everything in his life has changed and grown since he's been an Oriole. So I think he has a lot of orange in the blood right now. So I think there's a shot for that to happen maybe one day. All right. Now 
last night at 6.34, I was out for a family dinner, and it's been easier to, to make plans to go out for family dinners this, this last two months uh, because of the product on the field. You know, you don't feel like you're missing any great shakes if you miss a game here or there. So right. wasn't aware of this, but MLBTradeRumors.com reported a tweet by Ken Rosenthal as early as 6.30 last night that had the Orioles and Brewers engaged in serious discussions, and they they seemed to point toward Scope and Gosman perhaps going to the Milwaukee Brewers. Now, as late as about 11.35 last night, the Brewers acquired Mike Moustakis with the idea of taking their third baseman, Travis Shaw, and moving him to second base. I know we, you and I are in agreement that the rebuild is necessary. Are we in agreement that, um, I, it's my opinion, I'd still like to see the club circle around and circle back and let Jonathan Scope know that we, we'd like him to really be with the Orioles for a good while longer? I think, uh, I think he has the possibility to be just as dynamic as Machado is on our team. And as you can see, he's finally got his, his mind in the right direction. And he's playing outstanding ball. He's, he's hitting the ball where it's pitched. And uh, he's a great player. And I think we, we have to have, you know, we can rebuild our team, but we still have to have some centerpieces of, of you know, true Baltimore yeah. people that grew up in the system. We just can't just wholesale everybody out of here and just start. It don't work that way, I don't think. Yeah, I, I think I also, I look around, listen, I'm f- I'm I'm an emotional guy when it comes to these type of things. And the news over the last 10 days that Brooks Robinson is back in the camp officially and that Eddie Murray is back in the Oriole camp, those things resonate a great deal with me. They give me a good feeling about my organization and my team. But then when I look on, on the field, I, you know, I'd like Adam Jones to finish his career as a Baltimore Oriole, but I don't know that that's going to happen. But I wonder if he's not back, and if Scope weren't back next year, the only real faces you'd have would be almost like Caleb Joseph, Trey Mancini, and Chris Davis, and that that just doesn't resonate enough with me. You know, no, that's that, that's not, that, that's not even close. So I'm hoping the people above, since you got smart enough to get Brooks and Eddie back in, involved in the Baltimore baseball, hopefully they're smart enough that they need some main pieces on this team here yeah. to stay around because they can, there's no reason why they can't sit down with Jonathan and say, listen, you know, you can play these games over the next couple of years and decide what you want to do, or we can sit down now and, and negotiate a, a new contract now and, and have it set for the next five to seven years. And, and you stay here as a Baltimore warrior. Cause we need somebody like him to build around Gosman. I think he's, the better of the two, I take I take Gosman any day over Bundy. Mm-hmm. So uh, I don't want to see him go either. All right, you and I are probably in the same camp. I also feel it's one thing to do a rebuild if you truly have five or six starting pitchers that are ready to come in, you know, and and you know uh, be your new starting rotation. But to me, one of the things that could possibly shorten the rebuild and also take some of the sting out of it is if you have, you know, where you're not 45 and 110 the next three years 
is having decent starting pitching. And I know Gosman and Bundy um, could probably bring you something back, but it's not like they're pitching at their peak now and their trade value is high. So I'd be more inclined to probably hold on to both of them. I would too. I would too. You know, we had, we got all these uh, pitchers in trade, but uh, we still don't have know who those five frontline starring pitchers are going to be down the road. And uh, I think, uh, I just think you just can't have too many and you definitely yep. don't trade a Gosman away and, and bring these other guys in when you don't have and, and lose that. So uh, listen, if you're truly in a rebuild and you know next year you still control Gosman for 2020, right? Because you'd be pitching him in 19. And the best case scenario would be he's 10 and 10 and 2 in June, and you start shopping him next year when he's really at his peak. Uh, right. That to me is the way you you do that. By then, you also maybe know a little bit more about Dylan Tate or uh, Dean Kremer. Or you know a couple of these other pitchers that they've acquired in these deals, uh, and and their own Keegan Aiken, D.L. Hall. You now have a little bit longer body of work with those people, where you start to say, "Hmm, we could trade a Gosman or a Bundy because Kremer's on the door. Dylan Tate looks like he's going to be something." I just think the uh, you're dealing from strength next year. Or don't, or even during the off season, but right now the seasons Bundy and Gosman are having, they they don't strike me as the right time to trade them. I totally agree. This is we just we're not in that dire straits that we have to get something for them now. And and like you said, it could be more valuable later when they're doing better to be ghosts of somebody that really needs to help next year. So I think it'd be foolish to get rid of them. We're talking with my friend Steve Garland, the owner of Big Bats Cafe out in Stevensville. Again, if you're ever on your way down and you've not tried it uh, and you're on your way down to Ocean City, you get off at the first exit after the Bay Bridge at Stevensville and you come up to the stop sign, you make a left-hand turn and you go down about a quarter of a mile and you got a little bit of sports slash baseball heaven all rolled into one and uh, with good food to boot. Before we let you go, and that's Big Bats Cafe, Steve Garland, before we let you go, I, uh, I know I mentioned it and you reacted to it. Um, I thought that the ball club, as a sign that they are really moving forward with uh, their eyes wide open about what's needed to kind of resurrect uh, some of the passion of black and orange in our community, give me your thoughts again on Brooks coming back as a special advisor and Eddie Murray. And I, I just want to throw in the caveat that with Brooks, I think it's clearly a very ceremonial thing. It's not like Brooks is going to go to spring training and start talking to infielders. But I think Eddie Murray at his age, I get the sense that they might want his involvement a little more as a um, as a an actual helper on the baseball side. Well, I, I don't I don't think. Uh... In any business, in the in the radio business, in the, the broadcast, the restaurant business, there's nothing better to talk to in somebody that's been there and has succeeded and failed and succeeded in that business to learn for where you can go in your career and, and try to make less mistakes and be better yep. at what you do. So I just can't think you can't have enough of those people around you. Um, we all need those people in our lives. And... Uh, it's nice to know that somewhere, it sounds like somewhere in the uh, 
in Camden Yard at the warehouse, somebody is actually sitting down and having some meetings at a table and looking across at each other and saying, now, what do you think we should do? And somebody yep. is coming out with some decent conversations and it's been missed for a long time. Uh, and hopefully it's in the right direction. And I don't think of anything but better things to come for Baltimore. I'm a true fan and yep. they'll be, they'll, we'll be back. Just one quick question about Eddie Murray. You know, one thing about the Orioles, Steve, and I'm, I'm posing this as a question, but I'm sort of making a statement. You and I know baseball fairly well. One of the things that has been missing on this team, even during its good, good years in 12, 13, 14, 15, one of the things has been clutch hitting. And, boy, I, just the idea of having Eddie Murray down in Sarasota for four or five weeks – Talking about approach with some of his hitters, you know, with the team's hitters, how to come through in the clutch, that it's not always about rising to the occasion, it's staying at an even emotional keel throughout. I I just can't tell you how much I think Eddie Murray could help some players like Jonathan Scope and Chris Davis at this point. Oh, I I think so, too. I think uh, one thing, if you know much about Eddie Murray, he always had a plan when he went up to play. You got that right. he, he had something that he was going to do, and he was going to stick to his plan. And I think that's what we're missing with a lot. I know Chris Davis might have a plan, but it, like his plan changes after the first pitch. Yeah. So, uh, Listen, I don't, know, I don't know if the two sides have even discussed it, but I'll tell you one thing. And I know Eddie's probably, I'm guessing he's 61, 62 years old. But, boy, I, you know, if he wanted to become the hitting coach or an assistant hitting coach uh, or take the job that Crowley has been sort of doing, going around talking to young hitters in the organization, I can't think of a better person for it. Well, in the interview with Eddie Murray, they were talking to him about some things going on, and there's one time in Eddie's life that he was really upset with because he became the hitting coach for the Dodgers. Right. And the Dodgers were ripping the cover off the ball. And then for some reason, he was out of a job. Yeah. So uh, yeah. I think he has great potential to help. And I would I would give anything if Eddie sat down with Chris Davis on a non-daily but frequent yeah. basis to go over things yep. and watch him in the cage. And I think you could see Chris turn into the hitter that he was in the past and maybe even a better hitter. All right. Thank you, Steve Garland. Uh, rest up, and we'll talk to you soon in a couple weeks, all right? Hey, you have a great uh, weekend, Stan. Look forward to talking to you soon, and uh, look forward to sitting at the booth and having some grub with you sometime soon. I'm looking forward to that as well. Thanks, Steve. Take it easy, man. All Bye-bye. right, there you go. Good friend, Steve Garland, also a sponsor uh, with Big Bats Cafe uh, over there in Stevensville, Maryland. We're going to next up make our connection with Mel Antonin of Masson Sports and talk with him. We're going to sound a little redundant. There's no question about it, but I want to get uh, you heard a fan's point of view. Steve Garland, who bleeds orange and black uh, in Mel Antonin, will have somebody who's got a little bit more of a, a journalistic bent to uh, what's going on, and we'll talk to him about some of these same issues uh, uh, following up in just a moment. Mel Antonin of Mass and Sports to join us. Still upcoming on the show. We hope to make our connection with uh, Loop Sports uh, of Chicago's baseball guy David Wildman and Brittany. I'd ask you to um, I'd ask you to potentially give him a call. Okay, 
Okay, Mel, let's get right to it then. Mel Antonin, how are you, my friend? Hey, good morning, Stan. Good to be with you. Um, let's talk about a couple of things we just hashed over with a, a sponsor and a friend, uh, owner of Big Bats Cafe down at Stevensville, Maryland, uh, Steve Garland. But let's uh, last night, about 6.30 on MLBTradeRumors.com, uh, they did a little story uh, on a tweet by Ken Rosenthal of the National, uh, theAthletic.com, concerning serious discussions going on between the Orioles and the Brewers, and conjecturing that those discussions might have involved Jonathan Scope and Kevin Gosman. Uh, about eleven thirty last night, though, we got word that the Brewers had um, uh, picked up Mike Mustakas in a trade. Uh, with the notion of moving their third baseman, Travis Shaw, over to second base. Have you heard much about these serious discussions that the Orioles and Brewers were in? I knew that they were. It only makes sense that they were doing it because, one, the Brewers need a starter, and, and they need a middle infielder. So it makes sense that they were checking it out. They were doing their due diligence. I heard that they were checking them out, and uh, obviously the price didn't work for them, but it would have made perfect sense for the Brewers to get Jonathan Scope because they need a bat. But I think they need a pitcher more. What's that? I'm sorry. I said I, I, it's, it's not surprising. The Brewers need a starting pitcher. Yep. The Brewers need a middle infielder. Yep. They need a bat. And uh, I think they need a pitcher more than they need a bat. Yeah, I, wa- I wonder. When I read this, I'm wondering if Travis Shaw might not have been part of the return that they were going to move Mustakas anyway, and that the notion of uh, Travis Shaw at second base for them wasn't really appealing, and maybe that that's what the return included, a prospect or two plus Travis Shaw to the Orioles. Yeah, that could have been, yeah, that could have been it. Um, it. It could have been the price. It could have been a lot of things, but I think, I think, Jonathan Scope is very marketable at this point, given how well he's hitting, potential, and his contract. We're talking with Mel Anton of MassInSports.com. Mel, um, uh, the notion of whether or not the club is in a total rebuild mode or not, we can kind of look at the Machado situation over the last three years, three or four years, and know that those two, two back-to-back knee injuries probably clouded the the ability of the team to really make a, a long-term commitment to him until they were clearer that he was free of real long-term problems with that. We, we can assume that that's one of the things that slowed that. Do we understand why the club hasn't tried to engage Jonathan Scope in, in long-term discussions? I think probably because the club isn't sure which direction – they want to go. Okay. Uh, I, you know, they, they were they were so focused on building a contending team, particularly for 2018. There was every reason to think the Orioles were going to contend. So I just think it was on the back burner. And now the situation has changed. And who knows whether Jonathan Scope wants to stay in Baltimore or not? He'd yeah. be a good building block. Yeah. He'd be good to build around. But I think they were just so focused on uh, trying to win in 2018. And they had all, you know. They had a good enough team to do it. It just was an unbelievably bad season for what for a lot of reasons. We're we're talking with Mel Anton of MassInSports.com, and we're talking a little bit about this discussion about whether the club 
is really shopping Scope and Gosman pretty hard. And these discussions between the Brewers and the Orioles were described by Rosenthal as serious discussions. Um, do you think this is the right time to trade both of them as opposed to perhaps finding Gosman uh, again doing what he does best, pitching well in August and September, and Scope finishing up hot, and if you're really interested in dealing them, maybe dealing from a real point of strength. I think I think it wouldn't hurt. I think it would work either way. Uh, but I don't think the Orioles want to go through next year with Scope what they went through this year yeah. with Machado. So I think they have to listen. I think they want to. I don't think they're determined to. But if the marketplace says this would be a good trade, by all means, do it. You know, I don't think it's the end of the world if Jonathan Scope gets traded. It might be a very good thing. But We're, again, it depends on depends on what you get back. But if you get something good back, it makes sense. We we now have two of the trades out of the way. The heavy the heaviest lifting was uh, Machado and Britain being dealt. I think the hauls that we got collectively for the two of them, Mel, and I want your opinion. I think, given the fact that they are just over two month rentals. I think Dan Duquette and the organization did fairly well in these two deals. Oh, man, I'll say they did. Uh, all those guys they got from the Dodgers, the five, four of the five guys from the Dodgers are legitimate prospects. They've had success at the minor league level, whether they're pitchers or hitters, and uh, they're all young. It's not like they got a bunch of 27-year-olds, Class A and AA players. they got a bunch of players, 23, 24, 22, and youth and success early. I think they did well. I'm not all going to make the majors, but I think they're going to be fine. And I think they did as well as they could do. I didn't expect them to get five players from the Dodgers. Yeah, that was a, 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 pr- a pretty interesting haul. And I'd say all but the, the veteran infielder, Valera, who's uh, who hit the uh, game-winning inside-the-park home run for his new team the other day, Norfolk Tides. Uh, I'd say all of them, except Valera, are, are legitimate prospects. Um, I know we've got you for short time today, uh, but I did want to discuss one other aspect of this. I think it's been fairly. Uh, I, I would have. I would think that most of the media that we sit together in that press box have been of a like mind that Dan Duquette was not going to be part of the Orioles' future. What? And I don't know whether you and I haven't talked about that, discussed that directly. A, do you agree with that? And B. What did you make of the way he, very much after the Machado trade, uh, was talking about about it as if he were part of the new direction of the team, uh, which is going to include increased analytics and increased uh, scouting and increased international scouting? Did you find that a curious, um, uh, you know, discussion by Dan Duquette? Yeah, I have no idea what's going to happen. Who's going to be the general manager? Who's going to be the manager next year? But it sounds like Dan Duquette is making, at least laying the groundwork. They could change. You couldn't ask for a better guy to do the rebuilding than Dan Duquette. There's yeah. no question about that. And, you know, it sounds like he's going to stay. I have no idea what's going to happen. But the way he was talking and talking about rebuilding and analytics and all that, it sounds like he's probably going to stay, and that would be a good thing. Yeah, I, mean, I don't he's think He's done very well. I, this season is anomaly, the fact that they – They've got such a miserable season. The game plan for this season was was logical, smart, 
and aggressive, and it just didn't work. Yeah. One last question before we let you go. You, you've gotten to watch uh, Buck Showalter throughout his career, but mostly you've been up close to him during his Masson slash Orioles years. Um, it, it's a sad it's, it's a sad, um, you know, uh, part of this dynamic this year to watch him suffering with a team like this, and we know it's not his fault. But do you yeah. see any scenario in which Buck Showalter is at the helm of this team when they break camp, when they start camp next February in Sarasota? Well, I think the next couple months will determine that. If they're really interested in having a new manager, I think it would be the sooner the better to, to replace Showalter. There's no need for him to, uh, to manage in August and September if the front office is saying, we need a new manager, we need yeah. a new direction. But if Buck stays, he's a good manager, he's excited about the job, he wants to re- get things going in the right direction. You know, sometimes you can fire a manager too quickly. And uh, Buck has been loyal, he's been good, he's helped build the Orioles into a, a powerhouse now. I think he can do it again, but... My guess is if, if Buck doesn't want to stay or if the front office is saying, hey, we need a manager, it would be better to just get rid of it and get going in August and September than, last, than wait la- until next year. Last quick tag on to that, and then we'll let you go. Do, historically, can you think of a manager who would have come back from the grave like that, you know, a season of, you know, 45 wins probably at its best that has survived and come back and thrived. Does does anybody come to mind? The first one that comes to mind is Tom Kelly. You know, he won a World Series in '87. He built that team up. Then they went through a bunch of losing seasons. Mm-hmm. Didn't make the playoffs, and he came back in '91. Right off the top of my head, in the modern era, he would be the guy that came the closest because they're the ones that had some really World Series highs, lows, missed the playoffs, then back to the World Series. He'd be the first guy that comes to mind. But generally speaking, in this era of win now, yep. managers are fired as soon as things start going awry. Mel Anton and MassonSports.com, many thanks for being on with us this morning. Thanks, Stan. I enjoy you on Facebook, and I enjoy your show here. So Thank you very that. much. I always enjoy talking to you as well. Thank you. There it goes, Mel Antonin. All right, by the way, we've got a championship game tonight in Baltimore. Are you aware of that? Arena Bowl 31, presented by Bud Light, is coming to Charm City. The Baltimore Brigade are going to take on the Washington Valor in an I-95 battle tonight at 7 p.m. at Royal Farms Arena. You won't want to miss this rivalry matchup. All fans in attendance will receive a commemorative rally towel to cheer on their city. Tickets are on sale now at BaltimoreBrigade.com or by calling 667-930-0200. It's great entertainment, inexpensive, and you'll be able to tell your kids you were at a championship game or they will have been at a championship game tonight at 7 o'clock at Royal Farms Arena. Grab your fishing rods and tackle boxes. Your Aberdeen Ironbirds take the field as the Harford County Anglers of Aberdeen this weekend. Tickets start as low as just $5. Get them and more information at AberdeenIronbirds.com. 
Red, white, and blue savings continue on over 1,300 new and used Toyotas and Chevrolets at Jerry's Auto Group with savings up to $15,000. And 0% financing is still available on many new models. Plus, every new Chevy and Toyota from Jerry's comes with free maintenance for four years or 50,000 miles. Visit Jerry's Toyota on Bel Air Road, Jerry's Chevrolet on Joppa Road, and online at jerrysitsaboutyou.com. Special financing with approved credit, savings vary by model. Sale ends July 31st. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values. Earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com slash bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. Paid for by the U.S. Army. Our buddy Steve at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square has sweetened the menu with the Summer of Peach, featuring a chili and delicious white peach tea lemonade that combines tea and lemonade with fresh white peaches. Many of us were already mixing tea and lemonade, while Chick-fil-A added the extra twist of an essential summer taste, peach. Visit the official Glen Clark Radio Chick-fil-A store on Campbell Boulevard in Nottingham Square. Arena Bowl 31, presented by Bud Light, is coming to Charm City. The Baltimore Brigade will take on the Washington Valor in an I-95 battle this Saturday at 7 p.m. at Royal Farms Arena. You won't want to miss this rivalry matchup. All fans in attendance will receive a commemorative rally towel to cheer on their city. Tickets are on sale now at BaltimoreBrigade.com or by calling 667-930-0200. Arena Bowl 31, this Saturday in Charm City. Are you looking for a great deal? Maybe you need that perfect, affordable outfit or clothes for growing kids. Or maybe you're looking for that hard-to-find collectible. Visit Goodwill today. Shop with a mission and find everyday low prices on thousands of items, including brand-name clothing, stylish accessories, shoes, and furniture. Come to Goodwill and see what you can find. When you shop at Goodwill, when you donate to Goodwill, you will help someone find a job. To find a store near you, visit givetogoodwill.org. Hi, it's Glenn Clark and Kyle Ottenheimer from Glenn Clark Radio. We're going to be talking a lot of Lamar Jackson on our show, but I want to make a promise right now. For those of you that tune in to Glenn Clark Radio, Monday through Friday from 10 to noon, we will talk about something unrelated to Lamar Jackson for at least 30 solid seconds every day. Kyle, I thought maybe we should give people an idea of some of the topics that we might discuss other than Lamar Jackson. For example, we might talk about Chick-fil-A sauce. Aliens. The television program Detroiters. Jesus stealing pizza. All these things are options for 30 solid seconds, and then we'll go right back to Lamar Jackson. GlennClarkRadio.com, PressBoxOnline.com slash radio, and watch the show Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports. Grab your fishing rods and tackle boxes. That's right, your Aberdeen Ironbirds take the field as the Harford County Anglers of Aberdeen this weekend. That's right, tonight they play the Mahoning Valley team at 7.05, and tomorrow at 5.05, they play Mahoning Valley, and that is the Aberdeen Ironbirds becoming the Harford County Anglers of Aberdeen. Tickets starting as low as $5. Go to AberdeenIronbirds.com. And we are back on the show right now, and joining us from LoopSports.com out of Chicago. I usually have on, uh, whenever the, the news is about Chicago baseball, we have on uh, Patrick Flowers. Patrick is away coaching a baseball team in Cincinnati, the Queen City, 
And joining us now is one of his trusted uh, writers, David Wildman. David, thank you for joining us on the Bat Around. Thanks for having me, Stan. I'm I'm really excited. Looking forward to talking about baseball, a bit of a different perspective. Um, I know I can get some sympathy. I know in Baltimore <laughs> things aren't going too great either. Well, we're <laughs> we're looking up at the White Sox by about six or seven games, but maybe the Orioles will get hot and catch the White Sox. Uh, <laughs> but but you couldn't take two teams that are uh, diametrically opposed in one city as the Cubs and the White Sox right now. The Cubs kind of hunkering down. They acquired um, Jesse Garcia about four or five days ago because they didn't really have the weapons uh, in in prospects to acquire a Zach Britton or anybody else of that nature. So they acquired Jesse Garcia, but then they doubled down on with Texas and picked up Cole Hamels. Your thoughts on those two moves right now? Um, I think Theo is is being smart. He he acquired two arms uh, to kind of bolster both uh, the the middle of that bullpen and sort of the back end of that rotation. Um, he hasn't given up any of their top prospects, which I know um, all the Cubs guys at the site are pretty excited about. So, um, can they fix Cole Hamels? He had a ten point. 3-5 ERA in his last seven or so starts in Texas. So uh, I think the view on Hamels right now is, is he can't be much worse than Tyler Chatwood has been. Um, as far as the Jesse Chavez deal goes, um, I, I know they really like that pickup. He could be you know a pretty high leverage lefty reliever. So the, the Cubs have gotten better in the past week or two uh how much better is yet to be seen i think that really depends on if maybe they can round cole hamels into shape and get him looking like the pitcher he was maybe three or four years ago uh, cole hamels how much do you think and i know you've been around for a while so you've seen some people that get sort of down on their luck because they're part of a bad situation uh, you know, the thing in Texas just never quite worked out the way they hoped when they made that big trade with the Phillies. I think, I think going into a pennant race right now is going to be the biggest rejuvenator or fixer of Hamels. Your comments? Yeah, I, I do think um, if you look at Cole Hamels' splits, his ERA at home was in the mid-sixes, and his ERA on the road was... Uh, below three. So I think pitching in Arlington was always a little tough on mm-hmm. him. That's kind of a, a rough hitter's park. Um, and I, I think you're right. I think naturally as humans, you know, being taken out of a boring, losing a lot of games situation, you're, you're put in a city like Chicago, you're put, like you said, smack dab in the middle of a pennant race. I, I, I don't think Cole Hamels is going to be the the pitcher that Texas saw towards the end of his stint there. Yeah. So um, I, I think he'll be a really nice back end of the rotation pickup, and I do think he'll improve the team uh, quite a bit. And on top of that, he's a World Series champion. Yep. He's done this multiple times. So I think you're adding a pretty good presence in that clubhouse too. Uh, you know, I don't know if you remember the name because you're probably a good bit younger than I am. I'm in my mid-60s. Johnny Padres, who at one time, great left-handed pitcher, 
with the uh, Brooklyn and Los Angeles Dodgers, he used to say about rising to the occasion, you know, that certain people are clutch players, that, that it really wasn't that they rose to the occasion. It was more that they were able to keep the equilibrium in emotional situations, you know, the big, you know, the big World Series or playoff game. And I think that's the case with a guy like Cole Hamels. The fact that he's been there and done that at big times really can translate. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, the White Sox had a pitcher uh, on their 05 staff, Freddie Garcia, yep. who sort of said the same thing. Uh, the Sox were kind of going through a little bit of a rough patch, and he said, you know, as a starting pitcher, you're going out there every five, six days, and there there's certain games that you just kind of have trouble getting up for, and it uh, it, it affects you. So I think I think you're absolutely right there. We're talking with David Wildman of LoopSports.com out of Chicago. David covers uh, the baseball beat. Do you do other stuff, by the way, for um, for the Loop Sports? You don't just cover baseball, correct? Yeah, no. I uh, I write about the Bulls from time to time. Uh, sometimes I'll write about the Bears, but my my thoughts on the Bears are usually a little more negative than, than people want to read. So <laughs> I kind of stick to basketball and baseball. Hey, I was driving in today listening to the Fantasy Channel and XM, and they were talking about a receiver, and i got to be honest with you, every year about this time, because I get ready to play in my couple media fantasy football leagues, my ears perk up. What do you know about wide receiver Anthony Miller there in Chicago, rookie? Uh, Anthony Miller out of Memphis. Yeah. He was, uh, a second or third round pick. Um, everyone at the site really liked him. Yeah. Uh, Dan DeYoung, who's one of our Bears guys, really has had a, a prospect crush on him since yep. the beginning of the draft process. And he's been, he's been probably the Bears' most impressive receiver in training camp, that's, which is actually saying something this that's year. That's what I'm hearing, yeah. Yeah, we, we brought on Allen Robinson, who is, you know, obviously going to be our big play number one guy. But uh, Anthony Miller looks like he'll compete, if not win, the, the slot receiver number one spot. Um, and he's just been making big play after big play. So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about the receiving core this year. All right. Getting back to baseball, uh, the the Cubs are right there. They're in a pitch battle with the Milwaukee Brewers right now. Would you say that the um, Would you say that the the opposite team in Chicago, the White Sox, have they disappointed, or is this about where you thought they'd be in the rebuild, or would you have thought they would have gotten a little more out of, say, the Chris Sale return by this point? Um. I think, you know, this is year two of a full-on teardown rebuild. I think a lot of people coming into the year, myself included, maybe expected it to be a little better just because we traded off all those assets. We got pretty huge returns for all of them. Um, You know, it really depends who you ask over here in Chicago how the Sox are doing right now. Um, the way I look at it is no team is ever competitive in the second year of a rebuild. Mm-hmm. The Cubs weren't, the Astros weren't, the Royals weren't. It, it's just not how it works. It's all part of the process, and I think it's it's taking a little longer than people thought. Sort of this year was when 
it kind of you kind of come down off of the high of of that excitement of starting the rebuild. You got all these new prospects, and the the Sox have been very, very, very patient with all their top prospects. You got Michael Kopech and Eloy Jimenez knocking on the door. Mm-hmm. Um, they're ready to come up every day. Everyone's checking Twitter all the time, trying to see if they're coming up. Um, so I think fans are maybe a little frustrated with how long we're incubating these guys in the minors. There's some accusations that, you know, it's ownership playing games with service time. Right. Uh, as far as the product on the major league club, a lot of injuries this year. Um, Avisel Garcia has missed a ton of time. Nicky Delmonico's missed a lot of time. Uh, in the minors, we've had a lot of injuries too. So I think that's been the the biggest negative this year is you've had a lot of guys timelines delayed by injury. Right. So you know, am I losing optimism? No. I, I think we're gonna be fine. Are we gonna be winning the World Series in twenty twenty? That you know, when when the process first started that was sort of the target mm-hmm. date. I think with, with the amount of injuries that we've had on the farm system this year. I think you might want to push that contention window back maybe a year. We're talking with David Wildman from LoopSports.com out of Chicago. We talked about the Cubs. Now we're talking about the Chicago White Sox. Rick Hahn figures to be there long term. Uh, the manager that they brought in to oversee this, Rich Renteria, he thought he was going to have time in the other side of Chicago uh, when the Cubs hired him. It didn't work out long term there because of the availability of Joe Madden. How do you think um, owner Jerry Reinsdorf and Han are they happy with the job Renteria is doing overseeing this rebuild? It, it's hard to say. Um, there, there's a lot of complaints about the way Renteria has managed the team this year. Um, there's only so much anyone can do with the talent that's on the major league roster this year. So. You know, you can't fault him that we're 30 games under 500. Um, but, the, you know, watching day-to-day, there are some managerial decisions, uh, some decisions about what he does in certain situations, having kind of our bigger bats in the lineup bunt sometimes in some weird situations. Mm-hmm. His, his bullpen management is a little weird at times, and granted our bullpen's pretty bad you don't have a ton of high leverage arms in there but you know well there there is the the, there is the addition by subtraction of getting rid of chris volstad yeah oh yeah (laughs) we're happy about that yeah (laughs) (laughs) uh and we just traded joaquin soria so we'll we'll get a look at a couple younger guys we brought up tyler danish uh we'll give jace fry a look in the back end of that bullpen um so you got to give them another year. You got to get some more talent on the roster before you really know what you have in Renteria. But I, I think this year, as far as Renteria goes, there's a little more scrutiny on him than you would have liked to see. Yeah, I, I from afar, I would have thought that he was in it for the long haul. I'm, I'm vibing because I want you know I've got the MLB package and I watch games. I'm not up on everything there, but I've really questioned whether he's having much of a real impact there or not. I, yeah, yeah, and that's, that's kind of how we all are. 
two names that you hadn't mentioned as part of the rebuild were the uh, return that the, the White Sox got for um, uh, Quintana two years ago, which was Dylan Cease and the other Latin American players. It was Luis Robert. Has he been hurt most of this year? We actually got uh, Luis Robert as an international signing. It's it's We got Eloy from the Cubs. Oh, Eloy was part of the Quintana trade, correct? Yeah. Okay. So it yeah. was Cease and Eloy Jimenez from the Cubs. Uh, I know Eloy Jimenez is the man, but how, where is Robert right now in terms of his maturation? Luis Robert's one of those guys who has spent a ton of time on the DL this year. He, uh, That's what he I thought, injured his man. thumb. No, it's not. He injured his thumb in spring training, missed about the first six or seven weeks of the season, and then he hurt that same thumb again. So he's been on the DL for the past month or so. Um, when he's playing, he, he flashes all the tools that we signed him for. He's got a big bat. Uh, he's got a ton of speed. He's good in the outfield. So it's kind of teasing us. He's barely played this year, but when he does, he is a really exciting player. What are right now, if you were projecting the two of them, Jimenez and Robert, say two years from now, three years from now, what kind of players are both of those in terms of what kind of numbers would be their kind of peak optimum seasons? Are they the same type of players, Robert and Jimenez? I think with Eloy Jimenez, you're looking at a guy that could legitimately be one of the best hitters in baseball. Um, we're we're talking consistently 300 batting average, 30 home run, 100 RBI seasons. I, I do think he'll be the anchor in the middle of our middle of our lineup for a long time. Uh, Luis Robert, it's a little early to say. Um, but he could be a guy that's hitting 300, 310, 320, uh, 25 home runs. He he could be another really major bat. And actually him and Eloy, if everything goes according to plan with those two, they could really be one of those fearsome one-two duos in the lineup that you know, you kind of strive for the the names that come to mind for me for a stretch there in Detroit. You had Miguel Cabrera and Prince Fielder. Sure. Um, a couple years back for you guys, maybe Machado and Chris Davis, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So that you know, that's what I'm hoping for. Optimistically, I think those two could end up being the the two best players on the team when they're contending. One of the most interesting trade rumors, and, and nothing has come of it yet, but it was about three weeks ago. It sounded like the Astros were really kicking the tires on trying to upgrade their first base situation by, by going to you guys, the White Sox, and trading for Jose Abreu. Uh, nothing came of that. Do you think Abreu is kind of a lifer in Chicago? Yeah, I do. I I think if Houston had come at us with a major package with a couple of their top prospects, obviously we would have pulled the trigger. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Jose was the starting first baseman in the All-Star game. His numbers don't really reflect that right now. There's 
some signs of life the past four or five games that he might be starting to heat it up again. But I think his role on the team as sort of the elder statesman in the clubhouse and uh, as, as that veteran presence, I think the Sox value that more than other teams value him as just a player. Yeah. So we might be, you know, we're listening to offers on him. I don't think right now we're going to see anything that that is more valuable than what he brings to the team right now on and off the field. So I, I do think Jose is here to stay at least until next year. Is he contractually with the White Sox through 19? Yeah, he's got okay. he's got one he's got through nineteen and then he's a free agent. So, you know, I don't know if he's a White Sox lifer. We'll mm-hmm. see if they get an extension done, but I do think that he'll be here on opening day next year. All right. Before we let you go, uh, you know, teams that like to do a rebuild, they've got to improve up the middle. You guys have a, a homegrown shortstop in Tim Anderson, who's been somewhat disappointing in my estimation so far. Uh, this is his second full season. And then you have one of the key players in the Chris Sale deal at second base, Yon Mankata. Uh, talk a little bit about both of them. And in the case of Mankata, do you think this is a, a, a little bit of a Red Sox con job about how great a ceiling prospect he was? Some of the good teams, the Dodgers and the Red Sox, are notorious for building up the value of of players that other teams might not quite know that much about. Well, in the case of Moncada, uh, he, he's twenty three. He's still a very young guy. Mm-hmm. We knew that he had the these swing and miss issues, and he does strike out a lot. Um, he's got he's he's a very very selective hitter, and I think one thing sort of the consensus is. You'd always rather teach a guy to swing more rather than swing less. Mm-hmm. So I think that's sort of the case with Moncada. I think he lets a lot of hittable pitches go by early in the at bat. You know, an o one 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 count. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you if you kind of boil his numbers down, he he has been a league average second baseman this year. So for a twenty three year old guy to come up and do that in his first year in the majors with all the the flaws we know he has there there's work to be done i do still think that the ceiling is what it was when we acquired him i just think that there's a lot of patience required and i i think that's sort of the same thing with tim anderson mm-hmm. if you take a deeper dive into his numbers he has improved this year a lot his walks are way up um his, his batting average on balls and play is a little bit down so I think that's sort of hurting his average, but he's striking out less and his walks are up. So I look at a young guy who's doing that, and I'm I'm still optimistic. He's um, also he's also been more dynamic uh, running the bases, right? Stealing a little bit yeah, more just from a fantasy perspective. Yeah, he's become our our number one threat on the base paths. Rick Renteria told him. Uh, you know, you've got the permanent green light when you're on first base. Run whenever you want. And now he, he's stealing bases at like a 90% clip. Um, he really pesters pitchers on the mound. So if he can keep getting that on-base percentage up and keep his value as a as a runner, then 
I think he'll be just fine. As for Moncada, I think you're going to keep seeing him improve a little bit. It, it's just patience with him right now. He, his his plate approach is a little immature, um, and I. But it, it's the kind of approach where if you watch him day to day, it's the kind of thing that could make him a, a really fearsome hitter down the line. We're talking with David Wildman. David, let's flip back to the Cubs for just uh, one or two quick ones, and then we'll let you get out of here. And I really appreciate the time this morning. Um, do the Cubs hold out much hope that they'll get anything from you, Darvish, in the second half, uh, the last third of this season? I got thrown off. I use that term all the time at the All-Star break. This year, every team had played 95, 96 games by the All-Star break. So uh, they've got about yeah. 60 <laughs> games left. Do you think they'll get much out of Darvish at all? Yeah, uh, with you, Darvish, we no one really knows what went on with him in the first half. Right, he had he had some of those injury concerns. Um, he he kind of got battered around a little bit. So I know yesterday he he threw twenty three pitches in a bullpen session and said he felt okay. So the big thing with him in the second half is is getting him healthy, and once he's healthy, we'll see. Um, I I. I have to imagine he's a good enough pitcher. The stuff is still there. You know, the problem in the first half was not his stuff. So I, I do think if he stays on the mound in the second half, I don't know if they'll get a, a full return on investment for him at mm -hmm. least this year. But I, I do think he'll be a fine middle-of-the-rotation guy. And you got John Lester playing the role as the ace this year. Yep. So they don't need Darvish to step up and be, you know, their one A superstar pitcher. But um, it, the big thing with him is just going to be staying healthy. Do you think they have one deal left in them, the Cubs, before the uh, trade deadline? Tough to say. I know they were really in on Britain. They yep. really wanted Britain. Um, obviously, he's a Yankee now. Yep. So. The the trade market's actually sort of starting to thin out. There's not a ton of names left. They made those two moves to bolster the rotation in the bullpen. So, you know, that it, it's a thin, thin system. Yep. So if, if they're making one more deal, it would probably have to involve someone I'm not sure they're willing to involve right now. All right, David Wildman, we really appreciate the time. Uh, again, you can read David or my friend Patrick Flowers and the whole crew over there. They do a really good job at covering Chicago sports. It's called loopsports.com is the website. Thanks very much, David. Thanks, Dan. All right, there you go, David Wildman of loopsports.com. They did a really good job at breaking down some of the Chicago situations. Uh, still to come on the show today, uh, and we're not breaking just yet, but uh, uh, we're going to be joined by Adrian Burgos of LaVidaBaseball.com. And uh, we were due to have uh, Adrian on at 11.20 uh, because of uh, Mel needing to duck away rather quickly. We, we are a little bit ahead of ourselves We'll see if we can get Adrian on a few minutes earlier. But uh, um, we also have Bill Latson on. And Bill, while he's not in Cooperstown, Bill will be able to talk with us at some length about uh, this year's Hall of Fame class, which, by the way, in the history 
of the Hall of Fame. Uh, this is only the fourth time in the history of the Baseball Writers Association v- has voted in four players in the Hall of Fame in one year. In 1946, Mickey Cochran, Frankie Frisch, Lefty Grove, and Carl Hubble went in. In 1955, Joe DiMaggio, Gabby Hartnett, Ted Lyons, Dazzy Vance went in. In 2015, not too long ago, Craig Biggio, Randy Johnson, Pedro Martinez, and John Smoltz went in. And this year, I left out one of the biggest names, of course, uh, almost a unanimous um, Hall of Famer in the first ballot, Chipper Jones of the Atlanta Braves, Jim Tomey of the uh, mostly the um, Cleveland Indians and Philadelphia Phillies for the bulk of his career, Trevor Huffman, who pitched a great length of his career with the uh, San Diego Padres a little bit at the end, with uh, Trevor Huffman and Pedro Guerrero, uh, excuse me, not Pedro Guerrero, Vladimir Guerrero, the father of Vladimir Guerrero uh, Jr. Uh, That's the four-man class as voted in by the Baseball Writers Association of America. Um, Also in this year's class, which I think makes it such a special class, are as close to uh, two guys that you could have seen making the Hall of Fame, and that was um, Jack Morris, who in his heyday was one of the uh, best pitchers in all of baseball and certainly in the American League for about an eight- or nine-year stretch. He was really, really dominant. Uh, I guess his he's, if he's guilty of one crime, it's that he gave up an awful lot of home runs and his ERAs weren't always as pristine as you would have liked. Um that's the case of um, that's the case of Jack Morris with Alan Trammell, terrific statistics along the board, wonderful defender. Uh, you have to wonder if it was those offensive statistics not being quite what people thought they should be that have deprived him of being voted in in the Hall of Fame. But very quickly after their eligibility. Uh, those two gentlemen, Jack Morris and Alan Trammell, who played a, a good chunk of their careers together in Detroit, uh, go in. The The player that, that I feel really bad for, though, is Lou Whitaker. Uh, Lou Whitaker, who played alongside Alan Trammell for an awful long time. Lou Whitaker came up in 1977. He became a regular in 1978 and was a regular uh, through 1993. I think it's fair to say he was a – actually, 1992, he still played 130 games. 93, he played 119 games. Then in 94 and 95, he began – the slippage began a great deal, and he played 92 and 84 games before calling it quits. But there's a body of work from 78 – through 92 that is just uh, absolutely tremendous uh you know and i guess i'm looking at quick glance the rbi totals uh probably are what did him in he hit 244 home runs batted 276 uh knocked in just over a thousand runs 1084 runs but a lot of seasons in the 70s and a lot of seasons in the 50s but I still feel bad for Lou Whitaker. Um, I still think 
it's it's really weird because the two of them were together for so many seasons. I somehow lumped them together that if one is Hall of Fame worthy, that the other is Hall of Fame worthy. I mean, you look at somebody who slugged four, over 400 for his career and his own base percentage was 363. Uh, Lou Whitaker certainly, in, in my mind, still Hall of Fame worthy, maybe not by the vote, uh, the vote by the Baseball Writers Association, but certainly – uh, somebody I think who would uh, not disgrace you by being in the uh, the Hall of Fame. Now, Alan Trammell started out his career also in 1977, and he played with Detroit all the way through 1996. And as as is the case with an awful lot of guys, um, you know, it's it's really interesting now looking at the comparison between the two of them. Um, Trammell hit. For a slightly higher average, 285 to 276, his on-base percentage wasn't quite what uh, Whitaker's was, 352 for Trammell, 363 for Whitaker. Um, slugging percentage, 415 for Trammell, 426 for uh, Whitaker. Runs batted in, 1,003 for Trammell and 185 home runs uh, whereas Whitaker, as we pointed out, let's see if that's the, two, 200, excuse me, I doubled down on the same statistics. Here's Whitaker. Uh, 244 home runs and 1,084 RBIs. It, it's interesting. I think they're both veteran committee worthy Hall of Famers, uh, both Trammell and Whitaker. And it's hard to have imagined. Uh, Trammell getting in and Whitaker not getting in. And wouldn't that have been something if the Detroit Tigers would have had all three of their most celebrated players uh, make it into the Hall of Fame? We're going to take a timeout now, and we're going to try and make our connection with Anthony uh, Adrian Burgos of LaVidaBaseball.com. If we're unable to make our connection with him, I think we're going to play an interview I did a couple weeks back with Jim Gentile. He was a very special guest on the show. Uh, Let us take a break. We'll pay a couple bills right now. We'll make one more attempt at getting Adrian Adrian Burgos from LaVitaBaseball.com on to talk about about, uh, the induction of Vladimir, Vladimir Guerrero. Arena Bowl 31 is tonight in Baltimore. It's presented by Bud Light. The Baltimore Brigade take on the Washington Valor in an I-95 battle uh, tonight at Royal Farms Arena. You won't want to miss this rivalry matchup. All fans in attendance will receive a commemorative rally towel to cheer on their city. Tickets are on sale now at BaltimoreBrigade.com or by calling 667-930-0200. Again, this is affordable entertainment. And if you take your kids or your grandkids or your nephews or nieces, you'll be able to say you took them to a championship game in Baltimore, and you're not always able to say that. That is the brigade tonight against the Valor for Arena Bowl 31 in downtown Baltimore, Royal Farms Arena. Hey, Big Bats, let's talk about Ken Island's original sports bar. You heard Steve Garland, the owner, on a little bit earlier on the program. We did a Bay Bridge report. His restaurant 
is just over the Bay Bridge, by the way. And you can look from his windows. You can take a look at what the traffic's like coming over uh, the Bay Bridge. First, first exit after the Bay Bridge is Stevensville. Come up to the stop sign, make a left, go down about a quarter of a mile, and you've got the one of the best restaurants and sports bars around. It's great on the way down or back from the eastern shore. No place better to stop, relax, and eat. Great place to watch the O's, the Nats when the season starts, the football, the college football, basketball, and hockey are right around the corner, and you sim- sample some of the best bar grub around. Sandwiches, salads, soups, and subs – all there for you at Big Bats. I'm excited to tell you about one of our newest partners, Loop League. Find them at loopleague.com. What are they all about? Well, this is very cool. You can link together events from across the sports landscape into one comprehensive fantasy pool. So let's just say you're like us. Maybe you're playing a World Cup pool right now. You want to keep that fun going with your friends after the World Cup is over. Maybe you do a football picks pool that you loop together and that fun continues throughout the course of the year. Start a league today. Invite your friends. Single event leagues are free. Multi-event leagues are just a flat four. $4.99 fee for the entire league, not per person, just $4.99. There's plenty of competitions that Loop League has. I mentioned the World Cup, football picks, it continues MLB playoffs, they'll be doing stuff like that. I mean, they even do UFC fights, but if you've got an idea for something that you want to do, you can tell them at Loop League on Twitter, and they'd be willing to consider it. They've got 21 events on the platform right now with more coming. This is something that was started by local guys. It's extremely cool. Loop League. Find them at loopleague.com. Our buddy Steve at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square is sweetened the menu with the Summer of Peach, featuring a chili and delicious white peach tea lemonade that combines tea and lemonade with fresh white peaches. Many of us were already mixing tea and lemonade, while Chick-fil-A added the extra twist of an essential summer taste, peach. Visit the official Glen Clark Radio Chick-fil-A store on Campbell Boulevard in Nottingham Square. The latest edition of Press Box is available now, and it's a very special double issue celebrating Ray Lewis's journey to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We spoke to the friends, family members, and former teammates and coaches who knew him best to tell the story of the path to his induction into Canton this summer. Press Box is available for free at over 500 locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, which includes all 52 interviews with those closest to Ray at PressBoxOnline.com. KZ, Sari, the NFL chick, KOO from the Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show. You can hear it by going to pressboxonline.com slash fantasy every Sunday morning from 10 a.m. to noon. And you can also check us out on facebook.com slash pressboxsports. We talk about college football. We talk about the NFL. We talk about the fantasy aspect. We talk about the reality aspect. And we talk about soccer, the, the other type of football. No, no, we don't. We don't? No. Never? No. Yeah, Tennis? No. Nope. Rugby? Nope. No, just no, football. Just NFL football. football. College, College football. football. Every Sunday morning, 10 a.m. to noon, Press Box Fantasy and Reality Football Show. In the market for a used car? Stop. Stop looking at used cars and go buy a new Mitsubishi from Jerry's. New Mitsubishis are more fuel efficient and they come with a 100,000 mile warranty. Right now at Jerry's, new Mitsubishi Mirages start from under $10,000. What? A new Mirage hatchback or sedan starting from under $10,000 plus they get 35 miles per gallon city, 41 highway. Visit Jerry's Mitsubishi on Joppa Road and online at Jerry's Mitsubishi. Price plus tax tags and freight. Sale ends July 31st. 
Arena Bowl 31 presented by Bud Light is coming to Charm City. The Baltimore Brigade will take on the Washington Valor in an I-95 battle this Saturday at 7 p.m. at Royal Farms Arena. You won't want to miss this rivalry matchup. All fans in attendance will receive a commemorative rally towel to cheer on their city. Tickets are on sale now at BaltimoreBrigade.com or by calling 667-930-0200. Arena Bowl 31 this Saturday in Charm City. And welcome back to the show. Um, I want to talk to you about a sponsor of ours who uh, we we think a lot of and what they're uh, what they're out there offering. We're excited to welcome in one of our newest partners, Loop League. What is Loop League? It's very cool. You can link together events from across the sports landscape into one comprehensive fantasy pool. Start a league today and invite your friends. Single event leagues are free and multi-event leagues are just a flat $4.99 for the entire league, not per person. Events include football picks pools, UFC fights, baseball playoff picks, and more. You can upgrade from a single event league to multi-event if you like it. 21 events are on the platform now with more coming. Follow at Loop League on Twitter and offer suggestions for new events and improvements to the site. Loop League is created by local guys and is a lot of fun. Check them out at loopleague.com. I think it's an interesting uh, thing. If I were younger um, and much more inclined to be on the net quite a bit and and knew you know my my best twelve or fifteen buddies were all internet savvy and all that, this would be where we would have gone. Loop League. It's very cool. Very cool. You like the sound of that, Brittany? Yeah, You're I, somebody like, you know, do you play any fantasy sports at um, all? I tried fantasy baseball a little bit, but yeah. it was kind of a lot. I didn't really get into it that much, but right. I'd definitely give it another try. All right. Well, the Loop League might be the answer for you. You probably have a lot of friends like Bonza and yeah. Brandon Sachs. Yeah. Yeah. They would definitely do it with me. Yeah. yeah. All right. That sounds good. Um we're going to take a look before, by the way, we've been unable to reach our guest, Adrian Burgos. I know he's in Cooperstown, and um, we're going to make an attempt to get him on still. He was due at 1120. He's with LaVitaBaseball.com, which is something that uh, celebrates Latin American baseball, you know, the players from Latin America, and he was going to come on to talk about the excitement surrounding Vladimir Guerrero. Uh, but we're, what we're going to do is we've – oh, maybe that's him. Is that him? All right. Is that – it is. Okay. All right. That's great. So what we were going to do was we were going to flip – we were going to flip Bill Latson around, but now we're going to have Adrian Burgos from LaVitaBaseball.com. The only thing I'd ask you to do, Britt, is call Bill – and tell him you got surprised, and pleasantly so, by our guest Adrian Burgos from LaVitaBaseball.com. Adrian, thank you very much for calling in. Thanks for having me on. Uh, my apologies. I just had a crazy morning. I was talking with Rod Carew. I, I can understand <laughs> that. First of all, how's the weather up in Cooperstown? Well, we had a little bit of a drizzle, but the sun is back out and the wind's blowing the clouds away, so it's going to be a good day. I'm imagining with a with a class like this, one of only four times in the history of the Hall of Fame that four players have been voted in, Jones, Huffman, 
Tomei, and of course Vladimir Guerrero, and two other big-time players from one city, uh, Alan Trammell and Jack Morris of the Tigers, most notably with Morris, that, that the crowds there, I've got to imagine it's pretty packed there in Cooperstown this weekend. It's hard to get through the crowds, and you know, and they're here for Chipper, they're here for Tomei, they're here yep. for, for Jack and, and Alan, and there's quite a group. 66 people came on Monday from Don Gregorio, Vladimir's hometown. Oh. And there's buses coming from Montreal to see Vlad. There's buses from Boston with Dominicans coming. We got Dominican music being played. It's, it's a great, fun scene. Well, it's really, it's really interesting to, to hear that news that people came up uh, to support Vladimir Guerrero. Tell us a little bit about what makes his induction so special. Vladimir, like, one of the things that we all admire about him is he's the same guy, the kind of a bit reserved, and it's been a lot of fun seeing him kind of flourish and, and becoming more talkative and telling his story because, man, what a ball player. He played hard every day. He loved playing the game, and people really respect him in the DR and all the way across because in Latin America, because Vlad is just a simple country kid out of Don Gregorio who never changed but was always great, and he got the opportunity, and he did it. And a lot of Dominicans see themselves in part of, not in like the greatness of who he is, but in the humbleness of who he is and how he enjoys being with them. He played a, a large chunk of his career with the organization that that drafted him initially or signed him initially, and that's the Montreal Expos. Do you get any sense he played there, let's see, three, six, eight years, eight seasons before he went out to play for the Angels? Do you get a sense that Montreal is showing up a little bit to to honor the guy who was probably the greatest star in the history of their franchise? Yeah, Artie Moreno might not want to hear this. We have a social media tent, La Vida Baseball, here at the Hall of Fame in Cooperstown set up. And we have two cutouts, one of Angel Vlad right. and one of Montreal Vlad. And Expo's Vlad has been very much more popular. Montreal is here. <laughs> and it's actually, you know, it's a straight shot down uh, the throughway from Montreal into Cooperstown. Well, not into Cooperstown, but into New York. Right. And they're here. They're, they were here early. They're loud. And they're having fun. Do, they, do you get a sense, if you've talked to any of them, do, do they feel a little bit like by showing up, they're showing the passion for Montreal baseball and that they may get really into this picture of an eventual expansion that would lead them back into the major leagues? I, I, you know, they, they've never lost that love of yeah. baseball. You know, they, they were kind of hurt by you know, the, the franchise le- relocation, but they are very much departed baseball fans. The history of baseball in Montreal, when you think about that was where Jackie Robinson started. That's where Roberto Clemente started. So much history is in Montreal with baseball. And, you know, I talked to uh, Tim Raines uh, at FanFest. Um, and he was like, you know, I love Montreal. Yeah. They love baseball. And it's just a really cool city. The, you know, the multiple languages and everything that, that goes on in there. But one thing that unites all those communities is, is uh, is baseball? Yeah, no question about it. 
I'm looking at Vlad, Vladimir Guerrero's stats. And by the way, folks, we're talking to Adrian Burgos from LaVidaBaseball.com. And I do want to talk to you about that website. But we're talking to him most specifically about all the excitement surrounding Vladimir Guerrero's induction into the Hall of Fame tomorrow. Um, ten times he drove in over 100 runs that I count. Um, this is a guy who played hard. He played hurt. I consider him almost like a Tony Oliva who was able to play through the pain and the problems for a longevity that Oliva was unable to, and I know Oliva was Cuban, but um, this is a guy who put together remarkable numbers, Vlad Guerrero, despite uh, some knee problems that just plagued him for much of the second half of his career. Very astute observation because... The man I was just talking with as part of our coverage here of La Vida Baseball, Rod Carew, said the exact same thing. He's like, Vladimir Guerrero and Tony O were basically the same guys from different parts of the plate. Really? So you know, Rod Carew talked to you about this. That's interesting. He talked to us about this just uh, three minutes before I, I called you in. <laughs> <laughs> Great minds think alike, I guess. There you go. There you go. But that's a really that's a really interesting comparison. Now, you know, to me, when I look around at the players that are not in the Hall of Fame that belong in the Hall of Fame because of projectables, if not for injuries, I always include Tony O and Don Mattingly at the top of my list by saying, look at the numbers they would have put up, and and it's remarkable. And I'm not taking anything away from Sandy Koufax. And Koufax was able to do it in the in the biggest moments in the World Series, so he 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 etched himself forever into baseball lore. But these guys didn't get that opportunity uh, of pitching in World Series to show showcase what they did. I think that both Tony O and Don Mattingly are Hall of Fame worthy performers. Well, and I'll throw a couple more names at yep. you that, that I think are right there with Tony O. And, and Donnie, and that is, oh, man, Minnie Minoso and Louis Tian. Yep. And, and when you think about Louis, he had that stage, and look at what he did in the 1975 World Series. Yep. My favorite line to share with people is, you don't get Carlton Fisk jumping around, waving it fair, unless you got Louis Tian on that team. They don't get that's to a, game six. That's a great point. Louis great got point. them there. Yep, yep. Louis Tian, so, one of my favorite performers from back in the day back then. Uh, remarkable uh, Cuban-born uh, baseball player. Tell us a little, Adrian, we've talked a little bit about Vlad. I mean, we could talk. i got to tell you something. You know, I'm a Baltimore. Um, I wasn't born in Baltimore, but I've lived here since I was six years old. And um, I'm an Orioles fan, true and true through to the bone. One of the most exciting seasons, and I know it was the worst in his career, but was getting to witness him playing every day, albeit as a designated hitter, in his last season here in Baltimore, um, was watching Vlad Guerrero and just projecting, watching how he was at 37, 38 years old, and saying, boy, if this was four years before, he would have definitely driven in 100 runs, and he knocked in 63, and he had 13 homers, uh, 13 homers and 30 doubles at the age of like 38 years old. Talk a little bit about that. Well, you know, the other thing is, so Vlad, when he first had his, uh, he was called up by Montreal, 
he batted, I think it was 185, 190. But the next 12 straight years was over 300. Mm-hmm. Like he, 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 learned, he learned how to deal with major league pitching quickly. 318 lifetime. Yeah. So, yeah, even as he was slowing down, I mean, he still hit two eight. Was it two eighty five with Baltimore that year? Yep, yep. Two ninety. Two ninety. Two ninety. Yep. Two ninety. So you have a slowed down Vlad hitting two ninety. So yeah, you can just imagine a couple of years earlier how he's hitting and reaching everything. The, and yeah, it's uh, it's a tribute to his just abilities as a as a player to swing that bat and make contact and put him where there ain't. Now, you know, it's interesting, again, comparing Oliva and him, one of the things that is very similar to both of them is pitchers would go insane trying to figure out where they could put pitches that was a weak spot for this guy or at least unhittable. With with Guerrero, no pitch was unhittable, whether it was high, up, up above him or down on the ground. Actually, I know I've seen Vlad Guerrero hit a couple balls that hit the ground. Well, Vlad himself said yesterday in an interview, the hardest hit for him to handle mm-hmm. was right down the middle. Yep. Because he was actually ready for everything else. And when he came right down the middle, he was surprised and he would overswing. <laughs> That's very funny. Very funny. So tell us a little bit, because you came on as a guest at the last minute my um, uh, digital producer here and the host of Glenn Clark Radio, Glenn Clark, said, hey, will you have any interest in talking to this guy from LevitaBaseball.com about Vlad Guerrero? And, of course, whenever I hear about Vlad Guerrero, my ears perk up. But tell me a little bit about what LevitaBaseball.com is and what, what has you there other than your fandom for Vlad Guerrero. Well, you know, La Vida Baseball is a partnership with the Baseball Hall of Fame, and it's really about getting that Latino story through a cultural perspective. And it's about not just the game, but really understanding the lives these players live beyond, the part of the families they are, and the food and everything else. And, you know, that's where we're trying to get into and have our fans get better access to and so we had an article, for example, this past week that talked about how Vladimir learned his work ethic through working from like six o'clock in the morning to midday out with his grandfather, but also about his mother, Altegracia, and the food that she prepared, not just for Vlad and not just for all his teammates, but anybody on the other team that she would make the frijoles, the arroz, the goat, and everything. And that really her insistence that every Latino player has good food at the ballpark was part of the Latino culture. And that's what La Vida Baseball is about, allowing, and we're an English-first publication, Uh but we talk with the players in Spanish and we'll translate it because we just want them to feel comfortable telling their stories. And, you know, the funny thing is I see uh, Luis Clemente lining up over here. We're getting ready to talk to him and sharing the stories about the passion and the love of the game, and how that's part of how we make a family. And that is what baseball is. It's La, La Vida Baseball. It's the baseball life. It's the family. We're talking to Adrian Burgos of LaVitaBaseball.com, and uh, I know you're, you're busy there. I don't want to keep you too long. So just a couple more quick ones. Is baseball doing all that it can, or is it a team-by-team basis that they, they introduce the Latino player and get them, 
you know, the lessons they need, the English lessons? Are they doing, is baseball as an industry doing enough to really make these kids uh, at home and more acclimated in the U.S.? MLB is doing much better. And, you know, I, I think it's because of the, the work that many of the players, even like Pedro Martinez and, D- and David Ortiz, that when they insisted that translators be provided and baseball finally adopted that. I mean, Ozzy Guillen, when he was a player, was talking about that. And you can move back farther to Clemente and this is Felipe Alou. You know, so baseball is getting better. But it's really at the team level where we see a number of teams know that if that young kid they sign out of Venezuela or the Dominican Republic and increasingly out of Panama, you know, if we can get that kid to culturally acclimate, then he can be a better ball player. And so that's, if you're already investing all this time and energy and expertise in getting these guys, then let's do the cultural part too, because then you've really made it with these guys. And so we're seeing teams like the Astros are doing it, the Red Sox are doing it, and we're seeing you know, other teams like the Braves actually as an organization approach are doing this at the minor league level, at the academy level, and for that reason, and when you talk to the Latino Hall of Famers, they're saying, good for them. That's what we always wanted. This is what we fought for. Yeah. When we're talking to Tony Perez, he's like, I am proud that what we asked for is now being done. Good for the guys today. We want to see them succeed. You're talking to me in a city where our owner did a remarkable breakthrough to take the Orioles to play in Cuba and then have the Cuban national team come here to Baltimore and, and while it was an interesting bit of baseball diplomacy at the time with Fidel Castro still alive, um, you thought that the Orioles were maybe smart in positioning themselves to be at the forefront of being able to attract Latin players to Baltimore. And yet they have been, without a doubt, one of the bottom teams in terms of um, resources and, and scouting resources and and dollars spent on Latino scouting. Could you talk a little bit about that? Well, I can't really speak to the Baltimore case in its specifics, but what I can say is you see that the teams that are flourishing in the major leagues, the Astros and even the Yankees and the Red Sox, they have built it up based on their scouting Latin America and attention to the cultural adjustment of these players and they have come to the understanding that you have to invest in this all the way through. It's actually just not scouting. It's also having people in the DR, people in Latin America, who will look after these players and help them. Because they typically get signed as teenagers. Yeah. You have to help them become men. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a real job, and I think it's only been done, while I agree with you, it is being done at a better level, I still think there's a ways to go for it to acclimate these kids, which is only Absolutely. which is only upgrading the chance of ultimate success, which is why you're spending the money on developing them anyway. So we really That's appreciate it. Adrian, you're a man of your word. You called us right at the moment of, um, of uh, our connection. We appreciate it. Again, from LaVitaBaseball.com, Adrian Burgos. I'll call you some other time when, when it's not this front and center and we'll talk about some other issues. Okay. Excellent. I look forward to it. All right. There you go. Adrian Burgos of LaVitaBaseball.com. He was in Cooperstown to spread the word. All of a sudden, I got a tickle in my throat. 
to spread the word about uh, Latino baseball uh, vis-a-vis the induction of Vladimir Guerrero from the Dominican Republic into the Baseball Hall of Fame. We're going to next make our connection and talk a little bit with Bill Latson of MLB.com about what an unprecedented class this is this year. Uh, I don't know that I've ever seen – I'm taking nothing away from any of the players that have ever gone into the Hall of Fame or a bunch together, Um, but this is a remarkable bunch of players. Um, And joining us right now from MLB.com is Bill Latson. Bill, thanks for um, being willing to help us today. Uh, it's been a crazy show, but our friend Adrian Burgos from LaVitaBaseball.com actually called us right at the moment we were supposed to connect with him. So thanks for being flexible with your schedule. No problem at all. Hey, um, I'm taking nothing away from the class a couple of years ago where Larusa, Tory, and Bobby Cox went into the Hall of Fame, and I can't even remember what players they were matched with. But on a pure player basis, marquee value, can you ever remember six players of, of this kind of level that are going into the Hall of Fame all at once, four of them voted in by the baseball writers and two by the um, Veterans Committee? And again, I'm talking about Chipper Jones, Trevor Hoffman, Jim Tomei, Vladimir Guerrero, Alan Trammell, and Jack Morris. A great class, uh, but you know what? Some people will say the 1999 class was better. Who was that? Because uh, you had Robin Yount, George Brett, right? Nolan Ryan, Orlando Cepeda. That's, I mean, pretty, that's, not, that's pretty damn good. Yeah, yeah, that's not bad. I think people say the 1999 one was all right. Was that, pretty. It was pretty good. That's so, fair um, enough. I mean, those but, three those three headliners are really incredible, and Cepeda, of course, in my estimation. Uh, I guess some of the legal troubles made it a veterans committee thing uh, because Cepeda to me was one of the greatest players I ever saw. You know? No question about it. Yeah. Uh, he was great with the Giants uh, and with the Cardinals, won MVP with the Cardinals. He definitely it. We're talking with Bill Latson of MLB.com. And, Bill, I know you're not there in Cooperstown, but uh, Adrian is there, and he told me the crowds are uh, enormous up there. Uh, and a lot of um, he's saying that at their stand, they've got two kind of cardboard cutouts that you compose with Pedro uh, Vladimir Guerrero, one as an angel, one as an expo. And he's saying that the expo uh, faithful are uh, way outshining the L.A. faithful, uh, clearly an easier trip. But it's fascinating that uh, a city that hasn't had baseball for what going on 13, 14 years that they are showing up uh, to support Vlad Guerrero in Cooperstown. Yes, because, I mean, the guy was amazing. He was outstanding. And, and as you know, I covered that team. I covered Vladimir Guerrero's last year in Montreal. He's the best player I ever covered by far. And I can understand why he has the following for Montreal, because they know what he did. He was, a, you know, a four-tool. You know, he had four tools, and he could do everything. What kind of city is Montreal for baseball? Uh, we know what happened up there, uh, the, 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 tr- the sort of bitter situation where baseball struck when they were uh, leading the league in, what was it, 1981, that they were leading the league? Actually, it was 1994. And You're right, won. it was 94. It, it was a strike season. Yep. 
But they were able to play, you know, uh, the postseason. Yep. Um, so, so talk to talk to us a little bit about Montreal as a baseball town. Are they really <laughs> truly a viable uh, expansion site now? Do you think Montreal is a baseball town? There's no question about it. I saw it myself in 2003 when when they were in the wild card race. A lot of people love to blame the fans, mm-hmm. but it was not the fans. It was corporate Canada, and they needed corporate Canada to build a new stadium to get the TV contracts. They really didn't have a good TV contract. And to me, in order for baseball to work there again, they're going to have to you know, get that TV contract, which is billions, and then they're going to have to um, corporate Canada to sponsor. That was the biggest problem. It was right. not the fans at all. And, and uh, so this it, time it's, around, it's baseball town. this time around, MLB would have the leverage of holding out the carrot of bringing a team in to get that corporate buy-in. Is that what you're saying? I, I wouldn't say that. I mean, I, but I think what they need, number one, they need to get a new stadium downtown. That was the killer right there right. when they didn't get that stadium downtown. And, you know, and where um, Olympic Stadium is now, it's not a bad neighborhood. I mean, compared to other places, but uh, it's like in the middle of nowhere, and putting it downtown would be like on Catherine Street around that area. That would be so great because a lot of people go there. Do you still travel back there now and then to visit? No, I haven't. I have not been there in quite a while, but I will tell you that my memories will never leave me because I really enjoyed that place. I loved Montreal. I was and there for two years. You were there for two years, so you were there the last two years the Expos were there? That's correct. Yeah. That's correct. Boy, you witnessed a hell of a season by Vlad Guerrero, led the league in plate appearances, hits, caught stealings, but also in total bases that season, 364 total bases, hit 336 on base percentage, 417, uh, and slugged over 593 that year. Pretty. He was a, he he was was a remarkable player. Yeah, he was a remarkable player. Um, yeah, the best ever covered. Bill, I want to talk to you about something. Uh, all, nobody's suggesting that Jim Tomei, Trevor Huffman, and uh, Chipper Jones aren't worthy Hall of Famers, and I'm not saying that Jack Morris and Trammell are not worthy Veterans Committee vote-ins. I, I just went over the numbers. It was kind of staggering to me because I, I always, in my mind's eye, they played together for so long, Whitaker and Trammell at second and short in Detroit, and I'm looking at the numbers – and if, if I got to pick one of them that's more deserving in the Hall of Fame, I actually think Lou Whitaker's a little bit got an edge over Trammell to me, and that's not a knock at Trammell, but I'm surprised that somehow it wasn't orchestrated to have the three of them go in at one time. Well, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you this, though. I thought Lou, Lou Whitaker's first. Ten years were outstanding. Yeah, I mean, he was with Detroit his whole entire yep. career. Yep. I, I think. Uh, you think he faded you know, toward I, the end? Yeah, yeah, yes, he faded toward the end. But I think somehow he'll get in. Um, I mean, I, I, I'm sure Alan Tremble will say you got to put him in the Hall of Fame. Now. If I'm yep. in, he's in. So uh, I, I think uh, sooner or later he'll get in. But I, I think of the two. I would put Trammell in first because he was an MVP right. in the postseason. I think he deserves it um, over over Whitaker by far. But uh, do I think Whitaker is a Hall of Famer? 
I would say yes, yeah. because how long he lasted, and also uh, he was productive with Detroit, and he helped them win a World Series too. That didn't hurt. Yeah, no question about it. Now the third, the third guy that we're talking about with Detroit it took uh, it took the Veterans Committee to vote him in. Was was Jack Morris sort of a a byproduct at, at over the long haul of a season that he didn't put up the gaudy numbers in terms of, uh, you know, his ERA for a career was probably as high as there is in the Hall of Fame. But that when I, it I came, think, listen, yeah, go this ahead. is my opinion on this, yep. he's a byproduct of nothing because he, he should have been a first ballot Hall of Fame. I'm going to tell you a story. Yeah. In 1991, when he uh, completed that game against the Braves in the seventh game of the World Series. One of the greatest games I've ever seen pitched. Right. My first reaction was, oh, my God, Jack Morris is going to the Hall of Fame. Right. That was my first reaction. And, and the reason it took so long is it's a joke. The guy, uh, you know, was always leading the league, innings pitched, wins. I, I don't care about the ERA, but look what he did uh, in the long haul. I thought he was outstanding. He was a first ballot of the Hall of Famer. To me, it's a no-brainer. He, he's not a byproduct of anything. He was that good. I couldn't. I couldn't say it more. I, to me, he's probably second year. To me, you know, I, I make that a slight thing. To me, Mike Mussina should have been a first ballot Hall of Famer. It's going to take him five or six years. Uh, but Jack Morris, it's a it's a disgrace that he wasn't in at least eight nine years ago. No, it was it was a crime. It was yeah. a crime, and I don't know what the baseball rides were looking at. I'm convinced that a lot of them. Never seen Jack Morris play, and uh, I saw this guy play, and he was always one of the top innings eaters and, and winners of all time. So he, he should be in there, no question. Yeah, I mean, in, in his prime, his earned run average, you, you talked a little bit about Lou Whitaker maybe fading toward the end. His last six years, he had ERAs of 486, 451. 343-404-619 and 560. You know, it's it's funny. Sometimes these guys can stay a little so far past their prime cuz he went from 21 and 6 in 92 to 7 and 12 and 10 and 6. He probably wasn't, you know, a top-tier pitcher those last couple seasons, but I don't think that that should be held against him. No, not at all. What he did in Minnesota at Detroit it, it tells the whole story. I mean, you know, just look at Game 7 of the, World, of the 91 World Series. That's all you need to know about Jack Morris. That was the real Jack Morris there, and uh, I'm glad he's going in. He deserves it. Talk a little bit about the other uh, couple players we haven't even mentioned yet. I mean, Chipper Jones. Is Jones's percentage the highest of all time? Uh, in, in, in terms of what, uh, what percentage? Uh, voting, you know, voting to go in the first ballot. No, the high, the highest is Tom Seaver. It's still Seaver, okay. Yeah, Seaver. It's Seaver. But Jones but, is pretty uh, pretty high up there. Talk a little bit about his credentials. I mean, it was just a no brainer. Uh, first ballot. Um, the guy won a World Series his first year in the league, and, and you know what? The you know what amazing what was amazing to me was the guy was so consistent at the plate. He was a shortstop. He was a third baseman. He even played some outfield. And I think people forget how versatile he was yeah. from a defensive standpoint. He was really good. And, uh, and, and you know what? And I tell you, for 20 years in the league, 
he was outstanding as a switch hitter. So no uh, question about that's it. That's no brainer. Uh, Trevor Huffman. The Huffman, I have. Uh, uh, I'm a little hesitant. He never won a World Series. He's right. not in the Mariano Rivera class, in my opinion. But he lasted as long as he did, and I think he's in there for longevity. So um, he got he picked up a lot of saves. He helped uh, the Padres go to the World Series in 1998, and uh, I think he's there for longevity. So, um, you know, good for him. And lastly, another guy that's there partly because of longevity but put up monster numbers through the the bulk of his career is Jim Tomei, and one of the great guys. Yes, uh, Jim Tomei, he's been a couple World Series with the Indians in particular. Uh, He helped revive uh, the Phillies, even though he was not with the 2008 Phillies. And uh, I, I got to tell you, um, yes, he he lasted a long time, but did put up some monster numbers, a lot of home runs, a lot of RBIs, and uh, I, I I agree. First baseman, third baseman, he he belongs in the Hall of Fame. All right. Before I let you go, Bill, uh, the Orioles made a couple trades over the last uh, seven to nine days, trading Machado in a five for one deal with the Dodgers, Zach Britton. Uh, do you see them having anything left uh, bullet-wise to make another trade and your assessment of those two earlier trades? Well, let's talk with the two earlier trades. Uh, what, what bothered me a little bit with both of them, it, it seems to me if you're going to trade those two guys, yeah. you get the top prospect. And, and they really didn't get what I call blue-chipper guys. Mm-hmm. They really didn't. And uh, I, I hope they come through for the Orioles, but I, I don't think the trades were the best trades they could get, in my opinion. Okay. I hope when they trade the Adam Joneses or um, or, or Jonathan Scope, yep. I hope they get a lot. In, I mean, when I say a lot, a lot of blue chippers in return. So, um, but you know, you, as you know, with Adam Jones, he has to approve the trade. They just sure. can't trade. He has yep. to approve the trade. Yeah. Uh, so uh, last, we'll see what happens. Last night, before we let you go, Ken Rosenthal reported at 6.30-ish. Well, it was on MLBTradeRumors.com at about 6.35 that mm-hmm. the Brewers and the Orioles were, quote-unquote, engaged in serious discussions, uh, uh, trade discussions, and his conjecture was that Scope and Gosman would have gone to the uh, Brewers for some package back. Then at about 11.30... Uh, the Brewers acquire Mustakis, and I'm assuming that means that Travis Shaw is going to get a tryout at second, or is Travis Shaw part of the return to the Orioles? And you know, the Orioles trade Scope and Gosman eventually in the next day or two uh, for a package that includes Shaw back to the Orioles. Well, I, I, that I don't know, but I don't see Shaw, Travis Shaw, going to second base. I yeah. mean, he's either a third baseman or a first baseman. Right. Right. So, uh, I, I don't know. I, either tra- I have to think Travis Shaw is going to be traded because I just don't see how um, he goes He goes to second base at all. So, uh, it's going to be interesting what happens here. I mean, if the Brews get Jonathan Scope, which I did hear about, yeah. uh, man, that would be a nice uh, trade for Milwaukee. I just hope that the Brewers can give the Orioles something back where you could I... say, these guys can play in the majors right now. Yeah. That's what they got to do. Right I, th- I think the reason the returns were so sketchy for Britain, and, and, and I think we did the best we could given the fact that those trades should have been made a year before. You know, 
We know yes, that yes. now. That's that's ancient no, no history. Doubt. No doubt. Last question: How did your team? We know you're. We know you love the city of Montreal, and you covered the Nats in Washington. But we know mm-hmm. you bleed Yankee pinstripes. Uh, <laughs> how did they do with Jay Happ and Zach Britton? I think they did well. Um, I, you know what? I think, in my opinion, their bullpen, their starting pitching was overrated mm-hmm. uh, most of the season. And how they were able to win so many games with that staff was, be, you know, was beyond me. Because I don't think I think it was overrated. But right now, I have to tell you, I can see. I think Boston's going to win that division. I think they're too good. Um, I think they go. They could go all the way. Yeah, I really do. Yeah, they've they've really evolved uh, as the season's gone on. And you know, it's interesting, uh, Bill. Uh, I know mm-hmm. you're 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 a smart baseball fan. If you had said to me. At the you know end of July, Boston's going to be five six games in front of the Red Sox and peaking. And we would have probably both said Dustin Pedroia has to be a part of that coming back. That's amazing, and isn't he's it? done absolutely nothing, and yet they've been this good. It's uh, pretty remarkable and speaks to how good a builder Dave Dombrowski is. Yes, and, and you know we got to realize too when you say nothing, he's been hurt most of the year. And uh, he's, been, he's been missing out. Pedroia has been missing out because of an injury. So once he comes back, hopefully he'll come back, um, he can be a big, big part of that team. Hey, only reason I'm asking you this last question is because you worked in Washington for, for a while and you understand how the learners operate and Rizzo operates. If, if this ends now, and they're, they're about a 10-game stretch where they win nine and lose one, from being right back in the race, but if this right. if this ends sadly for the Nationals this year, does Dave Martinez definitely get a second year to come back? There's no question in my mind. He has a three year deal. Okay, and the and the uh, the learners and Mike Rizzo they're not known to waste a contract like that. They're not like George Steinbrenner. Okay, where um, you know they're going to have to pay him for the next two years if they if they let him go. No, he's going to be there next year. Now after next year, okay. that could be a different story. But gotcha. Um, no, he'll be there next year. All right, Bill. Great to talk to you again, and I uh, hope your summer's going well. I know you're enjoying watching your Yankees. Yes, I am. Listen, thanks for having me. All right. Bill Latson of MLB.com joined us there. Uh, let's uh, tell you a little bit about – I'm going to tell you a little bit about – I did Loop League, didn't I? I did Loop League. So I'm going to tell you about my favorite sports bar, and that's Ken Island's original sports bar, and that's Big Bats. 216 St. Clair Place, Stevensville, Maryland. On the way down to the Eastern Shore or coming home from the Eastern Shore, no place better to stop, relax, and um, get refortified for the rest of the ride home. You can eat there. You can watch sports all day long. They've got tapes of stuff. they got live action, whether it's the O's, the Nats, the Wizards or Caps in their season, and some of the best bars, bar grub around whether it's sandwiches, salads, soups, or subs, Big Bats has it all for you, and I urge you to check them out on your way down or back from the Eastern Shore. Respect. It's more than a word. In the U.S. Army, it is one of our core values, earned through selfless service to our nation and making a difference both at home and abroad. On the Army team, respect is earned daily. And now in addition to earning respect, you may earn up to $40,000 in bonuses if you qualify. To learn more, visit GoArmy.com bonus or call 1-800-USA-ARMY. 
paid for by the U.S. Army. Are you looking for a great deal? Maybe you need that perfect, affordable outfit or clothes for growing kids. Or maybe you're looking for that hard-to-find collectible. Visit Goodwill today. Shop with a mission and find everyday low prices on thousands of items, including brand-name clothing, stylish accessories, shoes, and furniture. Come to Goodwill and see what you can find. When you shop at Goodwill, when you donate to Goodwill, you will help someone find a job. To find a store near you, visit givetogoodwill.org. Visit Buffalo Wild Wings weekdays from 11 to 2 and take advantage of their new 15-minute lunch guarantee or your lunch is free. That's right, free. And with a 15-minute lunch guarantee, that means less time waiting and more time eating delicious B-dubs before you got to get back to the office. Buffalo Wild Wings, White Marsh, Owings Mills, and Westminster Wings Beer Sports available for dining orders at participating locations for a limited time. See restaurant for details. Matt, we normally come on here and tell everyone, go listen to Section 336 and just to take our advice to go listen to 336. Instead of us telling you why we're awesome, let's have other people tell you why we're awesome. This person says, definitely a bunch of Oriole fans who just want to be able to buy playoff tickets. Section 336 is the greatest Baltimore Oriole podcasts around look forward to listening every week these guys are coconuts and if that's not enough reason to listen they are a great listen if you want orioles talk even during the off season if you're lucky they might even talk about the ravens josh matt and bert are a must listen every week check section 336 out for yourself on itunes or wherever you get your podcasts the latest edition of press box is available now and it's a very special double issue celebrating Ray Lewis's journey to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. We spoke to the friends, family members, and former teammates and coaches who knew him best to tell the story of the path to his induction into Canton this summer. Press Box is available for free at over 500 locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, which includes all 52 interviews with those closest to Ray at PressBoxOnline.com. Hey, it's Glenn, and I might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling no, podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling yeah, podcast. That, that, Look, just, just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to job and out. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, <laughs> real quick. It's jobbing out. Glenn Clark, Aaron and Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins he Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com Alright, we are back and just before we go, I know it's uh, a pinch past 12 o'clock. I just want to go over the, so, some acquisitions that, you, that may have skirted past you. The Brewers the other day acquired Joaquin Soria from the White Sox. Last night, the Brewers acquired Mike Moustakis from the uh, Kansas City Royals. The Astros have acquired relief pitcher Ryan Presley for the Twins for two minor leaguers. The Royals have announced they're not trading Whit Merrifield. The Phillies have acquired Asdrubal Cabrera for a double-A pitcher, Franklin Kigomi. I think that's the right pronunciation. The Arizona Diamondbacks yesterday acquired Eduardo Escobar for a package of three minor leaguers that go to the Twins. Houston Astros also acquired catcher Michael Maldonado, who will probably take over uh, with Brian McCann due to miss another month of the season. They're not taking any chance. With the A's coming on as hot as they are, 
and the Mariners sticking fairly close. The Astros got to be careful that they don't just rest on their laurels and say, well, we got the best talent because those two teams could sneak up on them, and if they aren't fortified, could be a little trouble. Uh, the Yankees also acquired Jay Happ for a package including Brandon Drury, the third baseman, and Billy McKinney, uh, an outfield prospects. And, of course, uh, the Orioles traded Zach Britton to the New York Yankees for Clay Carroll, Dylan Tate, and Josh Rogers. Uh, there are rumors of the Brewers and Orioles still talking between uh, talking about Jonathan Scope and Kevin Gosman, and there is some talk. Apparently, the Phillies and Indians are showing interest in both Adam Jones and Joey Gallo at this point in time. Haven't heard much about Brad Brock, and that's not entirely surprising. I think if he gets dealt, it'll be closer to the August. 31st postseason deadline. It sure would help Brock's value if he uh, had two or three good outings in a row and rebuilt his um, value. All right. Thanks to Brittany Everett. Thanks to our guests today who included um, Steve Garland of Big Bats, Mel Antonin of MassInSports.com, David Wildman from LoopSports.com in Chicago, Adrian Burgos of LevitaBaseball.com and Bill Latson of MLB.com. We hope you enjoyed the show. Listen in tomorrow, 10 to 12, Ken Zales, Sarita Hubbard, Kyle Ottenheimer with the Fantasy and Reality Football Show, and then Glenn Clark and Kyle back Monday through Friday from 10 to 12.